Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. The, the last uh, few months we've been, we've been studying Ephesians and talking about this idea of finding our identity. That's what we've been discussing. What it means to know ourselves in light of truth, uh, which is uh, the opposite of what the world wants for us. They, the world wants us to know ourselves in light of our circumstances. And they tell us that, uh, that we have to know ourselves based on their terms. It's real funny that it works that way, right? Like the, the world is in such staunch, staunch opposition to a Christian worldview. And yet they have their own doctrines and they have their own views that they want us to adhere to. And, and they're telling us what we need to think about ourselves. And, and we fall for it. We fall for it, which is why we need a series like this. So the question is, how do we live in light of the identity that Christ has given us? How, how do we do that? When I was uh, young... My mom, in elementary school, my mom made me uh, do swimming lessons at the Lee Summit pool. So uh, one summer, like Wednesday nights, we would go to the pool for, I don't know, for a couple months, and they would teach us a small group of kids how to swim. And uh, I started to learn. It was good. And by by the end of the lessons, I could swim across the pool. Like, it was probably, I don't know. It seemed like it was a thousand miles, but it was probably like 50 yards or something, or I don't know, less than that probably. Um, and I could, I could swim the, the length of the pool, not real well, but I could do it. Uh, th- that same summer, um, I was at the pool hanging out, uh, observing that the kids my age were jumping off the diving board, right? And so I'm like, that's cool. Th- that's new. It looks fun. I'm going to try that. So I go, and I, I get on the diving board, and I walk out to the edge, and then uh, everything about the water immediately looked foreign, <laughs> right? It looked like another planet down there. It was scary. Uh, I felt this way again recently when I, when I jumped off a high dive for the first time. I, 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 I thought for sure I was like a 400 feet in the air. <laughs> it's so scary. I, I, like, I, like I had a moment again where I was like, oh my gosh, I don't even know what to do. But so I'm, 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 I'm young and I'm, I'm at the edge of the, 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 the uh, diving board and I'm looking down and I'm saying to myself, I have forgotten everything. But my, prou- my pride kept me from turning back and just getting off the diving board. Like there was no turning back. I just, I stood there and I said, okay, if this is how I'm going to die today, <laughs> so be it. Uh, but I can't get off the board at this point because, um, I don't know, maybe there was like some cute girls watching or something. I couldn't do that. Uh, so here I am, and I'm like, okay, well, this is what it's going to be. And I jumped off the diving board, and I sunk like a, like a rock. And, uh, you know, like in the movies when people are underwater, like Bilbo Baggins is like under the water, and it just goes on and on and on. It's all, everything's in slow motion. That was what was happening, Okay. And, uh, and the, the, the lifeguard had to jump in and get me and bring me to the edge of the pool. And I had to live with that. And I've had to live, <laughs> I've had to live with that my whole life. 
okay? Uh, and, and like even that day, I, like I'm thinking to myself, it's like I, knew, I know how to swim. But it was the fear of the moment, it was the self-doubt that actually paralyzed me and kept me from doing the thing that I knew how to do. I had let fear cause me to forget who I was. Now, now this is true in our faith too. We, this happens to us in our faith. We can know what God is capable of. We can know it. We can, we can read the book, we can hear the sermons, and we can know what God is capable of. We can know who God has made us to be. We can regurgitate it. We can say, I know that this is who God has made me to be. But when the world gives us a glance of its faulty perspectives, in fear we begin to doubt. Now it's doubt and it's distraction and it's desire. These three things that will always rob us of the confidence of our calling. Today we're going to look at the life of Paul and consider the confidence that he had in God's calling on his life and how that confidence gave him the ability to thrive in even the most difficult of circumstances. Let's pray, and then we'll dig in. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for today. Uh, thank you for a warm room. Um, even if we don't have restrooms or certain conveniences, it's, it's wonderful to gather with your saints and to um, experience the blessing uh, of, of a warm room and not be in the elements. There are believers even today within the last 24 hours who've met and gathered in places much less favorable, uh, and they did it in your name. And so, God, I, I pray that you would toughen us up and you would help us to see just the value of what it means to, I know there are those people that drove an hour to get here today, uh, that we would all have that spirit, that we would all have that desire to know you uh, intimately and to be with your saints and, um, and that we would take that serious. Lord, we ask that your word would speak to us, that you would show us how to have confidence, how to have confidence in you. Uh, we need that desperately. It's so critical to us knowing our identity but living in it. Um, so help us with that today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 says this. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye had heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel." Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Let's start here by, by looking at the context of what we're studying. Ephesians 3.1, Paul begins by saying, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. Now here we are reminded that, and the, and the church in Ephesus is also reminded of the fact that Paul finds himself, as he writes this letter, in a Roman prison cell. Okay, he is in prison while he writes this letter. At the close of the letter, he refers to himself as an ambassador in bonds. So think about that for a second, an ambassador in bonds. 
Paul has landed himself in a Roman prison on some trumped-up charges, and we said this last time, that that these were falsified charges uh, that that were laid against him because he had supposedly brought a a, a Gentile into the temple, and so the Roman uh, Roman military, on behalf of the Jews, uh, laid hold on him and and kept him in a prison cell. It had created quite a stir, and, and Paul had become, in a very short period of time, a very unsavory character in Rome. Now, in most cases, in most cases, uh, prison, the idea of being a prisoner, that's not a good thing. You know what I mean? Like, like I don't think I know anyone who wants to go to prison. Like, do you, like, is that something you've ever thought? Like, hey, that would be a great experience. If I could just spend, you know, I don't know, a month, two, just hanging out, you know, learning how to craft shanks. They have crafts in prison. get to watch movies and lift weights all the time, you know, three square meals, not too bad, yeah, I don't think anyone's thinking that way, no, I mean, I don't know anyone who, who thinks that way, any reasonable individual, I don't, I don't think people that are in prison want to be there, I've had friends that were in prison, and they don't say good things about it, none of their letters home were like, you know, those camp letters, it's great here. The camp counselors, you know. No, like, it's not the place anybody wants to be. And generally, people don't look favorably upon people who've been to prison. People who, uh, who've been to prison tend to have a hard time finding work when they get out. Um, there's lots of things about it that are not good. And yet, here is Paul, who's embraced his imprisonment wholeheartedly. How, how could that be? How could that be? Why does it seem as though he even takes joy in his circumstances? Why is he so assured when we, when we so often struggle to get out of our bed in the morning and go to a job that we hate? And he's in prison finding joy in his situation. For, 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 for us, we get anxious just in sharing the gospel with someone else. Just talking about the goodness of God makes us so nervous, right, that we, that, we, that we are paralyzed, that we don't even know what to say. And here is a man that is so confident in who God's made him to be that he's sitting in a prison cell taking joy in his circumstance. See, Paul is... Paul is confident in a way that you and I aren't. He knows who he was made to be. And so even from his prison cell, he can embrace his situation. He understood his calling. He understood it. Now, we've talked about this before in ministry. We've talked about this idea of calling. And I want to revisit it here for a moment. I want to help us to define what a calling really is, okay? So a calling, a calling consists of two elements. Two elements. The first one is God's will, okay? The first one is God's will. God's will is God's desire, his universal desire, realized in the life of the church, So God has a will. God has desires. God has objectives. God has things that he wants to get done in the world. 
Okay, that's why we're still here. That's why when Christians accept Jesus Christ, they don't just get raptured out. They don't just disappear. He's left us here for a purpose and a reason. And that is his will, that his will would be achieved, that his will would be done in our lives and in the lives of other people. And this will that he has is universal in nature. In other words, God's will for, for Miles is the same as it is for Michaela, right? God's will for Chad is the same as it is for Melissa, God's will is his will for all of us. God has a will, a way in which he wants things to be done. And his Bible, his word, is the method by which he calls us into his will. That's how he does it. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, God's work of sanctification in our lives is intended to produce in us a yielding to his will. He wants us to do his bidding. That's what he wants for us. Now, in order to be in God's will, we must first know his commandments. If you don't know this book, then you can't do his will. You have to familiarize yourself with his very words. Our New Testament is full of commands that he has asked the church to obey. But if you don't know what they are, then how are you going to obey it? There's so many people in the world that are looking for ways to follow God in their feelings. See, they, they, want, they love the Lord. They love Jesus. They know enough about the gospel to know that they found a life in him. But that's where their knowledge ends. And so they come to church and they look for emotional experiences. They go out into the world and they, and they hope, they hope upon hope to, to, to be able to follow him as a good Christian. And yet they're keep completely unaware of what he's exactly asking of them. We have to know his book. We have to know his words if we are going to obey him. It only makes sense. It's like going to the grocery store for your mom without a, without a grocery list, right? You go to the grocery store, you just guess at it. You just guess at it, you just start filling the cart. And you know what, how that works? You always end up buying the things that you want, not what your mom really wanted, right? I mean, even knows better than to send me to the grocery store. First of all, what takes her 10 minutes to do takes me two hours to do. I can't find anything in a grocery store. I used to work in a grocery store stocking shelves. There's like a language. There's like a, I know that. But when I go into a grocery store, it's like I just, I feel so lost. But the thing is that you need, you need, you need a grocery list if you're going to come back and, and please your wife or your mother whoever it is you're doing that for, if you're going to please them, you have to have a list and you have to be able to obey it, right? How can we expect to just go out into the world blindly and follow Christ without knowing and understanding his book, the things that he's told you? So in order to be in God's will, which is the first part of our calling, we must first know his commands and then we must obey them. God's will is in his call to humanity to accept Christ. That's one of his wills, is that 
that, that humanity, that human beings, that soulish individuals would put their faith in Jesus Christ and to respond to the gospel, that they would believe upon him and be saved from their sins. That is his will for the world. His will is in the call to love his church. His will is in the call to unity. His will is in the call to sanctification. His will is in the call to submission, to submission to authorities in your life. His will is in the call to the ministry of reconciliation. And this is but just a glimpse of what he has for us in his will. There's so much and, and, and so many things that, that the word of God has told us about who he is and what he wants done and how he wants us to live and how he wants us to act and to treat each other and to behave and to speak. I mean, right now, in, on Tuesday nights, Sam is going through a sermon series on how to communicate. You know, you know why and how he can preach a sermon series on how to communicate? Because God's will is plain on the subject. And there's a way in which not just Brandon or Eric or, or, or Duncan should speak, but all of us should speak because God has a will. God has a will for us. And the calling on our lives begins with obeying it. Now, God also has a plan for us. That's the second part of his calling. He has a plan, which is God's desire realized personally in the life of an individual. God has a plan, a way in which he wants you personally to obey his call on your life. Romans 8:28 says, and we know that all things work together for good to them. Now, now them here meaning individuals within the collective whole, them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. God has asked specific things of us. Now, now, now some of us have a hard time believing that God has a specific plan for you, that, that, that belongs to you, that is yours. And I'm, I'm just looking out across the room, and I'm seeing all the faces. And I'm seeing people that I've known for years. I'm, I see people that I don't know. I'm looking across the room. I see international students that, that don't call America their home. I see people from all different backgrounds and different walks of life. People who have different kinds of jobs. I could see you. I'm looking at you. And I know for a fact, just as much as you are unique in your appearance and your life circumstances, I can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are unique in your calling. I mean, it's written, it's written on our very appearance. God has made us all different, and he's got different plans for all of us Ways in which he wants us individually to execute his will for humanity. So in order to be in God's plan, we must first obey his will. Because you can't live out his plan unless you first submitted to his will. You can't expect to live out your individual calling if you haven't lived out his universal calling. You can't expect to do that. You have to submit to his word first. And then the plan for your life will be actualized. We must first obey his will, and then we must be sensitive to where he leads us. So God's plan, God's plan in his call for you to trust him 
in terms of his guidance? Can you trust him in terms of his guidance of your particular life? You know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, a lot of us, we come to church, when we first start coming, we're learning how to do God's will. And there's kind of like this herd mentality, you know? And it's really healthy for us. That's how God built the church. It's like a, it's like a, it's a living organism. And so, you know, when you get in the company of the other fish, you, you tend to swim, swim the way the rest of the school is swimming. And that's really healthy for you. When you're wanting to learn how to live God's will, you come and you're a part of this congregation and you look around and you're like, oh, I can see that that's what a Christian looks like is what they're doing. And then you begin to model yourself after that. And that's really, for many of us, that's how we learn. We learn initially in the midst of, congreg- of the congregation. But in time, as our relationship with Christ becomes more intimate, then we begin to hear things that are unique and specific for us. We become more sensitive. Our our ears become more attuned to specific things that he has for our lives. So God's plan is in his call for you to trust his guidance. Will you? Will you trust his guidance? His plan is in his call to observe and be aware of your circumstances. You know your circumstances have everything to do with God's call on your life. How you find yourself here. What kind of job you have. What kind of skills you have in the world. His plan is in his call for you to understand and know your gifting. Your gifting is unique. Do you know how God has gifted you? His plan is in his call to, 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 to draw you in through open doors or to refuse closed doors. You know, there's so many of us that are struggling to live God's plan for our life because we're waiting around closed doors, hoping that they'll open to us. And we spend so much time knocking on doors that God has clearly closed for us that we, that we can't be bothered by the fact that God has so many other open doors, so, such a wonderful plan laid out for us, but we're unwilling to go that path. So we have to be aware. Where are the open doors? Where are the closed doors? His plan, his plan is in your yielding to the leadership of your life. You have disciples and mentors. You have Bible study leaders. You have pastors and, and people, mothers and fathers in the faith. And these are the people that help guide you and lead you and understand, help you to understand God's call upon your life. His plan is in your careful attentive, attentiveness to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. God has a plan for your life. And our calling reveals itself as we walk according to his will. Now, in both of these elements, both the will of God and the plan of God, God seeks to invite you into his eternal objectives, his purpose for the universe, the purpose that he has for all of mankind. He's inviting you into that. He's he's calling us into kingdom work. But sometimes... And this is what we really need to address here. But sometimes our fear and our self-doubt get in the way of his calling. So here's the point I want to make, and that's this. Confidence in our identity and who we are begins first with confidence in a calling. Confidence in our identity who we are, how we see ourselves, how we understand ourselves begins first with a confidence in his calling. 
Now, let's, let's unpack this a little bit. Paul makes this claim about this whole, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ. He makes this claim with joy. Why? Because he's confident in the requests that God has made upon his life. He's confident in those things. He's unwavering in what God has said to him. We know, that, we know this because he tells us. He tells us right here. So he doesn't even, he doesn't even bother finishing his sentence. All right? He starts telling us about being the prisoner of Christ. He doesn't even finish his sentence before he begins telling us about the calling upon his life. Listen to what he says, what he knows with absolute certainty about God's plan for his life. He says this, verse 2. If you've heard of, this, uh, of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word. Okay, listen. He says, look, look, some of you may have already heard this. Some of you may have not. But God has given me a unique task, a task of declaring and stewarding a unique moment in human history, a moment when God is dispensing grace to all of mankind. And he says, he says, this was a mystery before, but God has selected me, the apostle Paul, to communicate that mystery. Verse three, how that by revelation, he made known unto me the mystery. He made it known unto me as I wrote afore in few words, Whereby, when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. In other words, he says, I've written to you about this before. We've talked about this before, about how God wants to use me in this way. So Paul's saying, this is God's plan for me, that I would make known unto you this dispensation or this stewardship of grace that has been bestowed upon the church. It was his job. It was his job to preach and teach wherever God called him to go, this very message that Jesus Christ had come to set the world free. So what does this mean? What, what exactly is this call on Paul's life? Verse 5 says, Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So, so here's the situation, and Sam mentioned this in the last service, is that we find seven mysteries in Scripture. And we talked about this before. We talked about it in the First Corinthians study. And so I don't want to beat that dead horse, okay? Um, but, but, but one of the things we recognize is that, that in Scripture, Paul was given this unique revelation, this, this unique revelation as it concerned a mystery about Christ's desire to, to, tear, to tear the veil in the temple and to make his presence available to all of mankind, not Jew only, but also to the Gentiles. It's only, it's only by the apostles that we now know that God had a plan that went way beyond the Ten Commandments and the Levitical law. God had a plan to restore all of humanity back to himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And so Paul's responsibility was to take this message of the gospel of Christ to the people, uh, peoples of the world that were unfamiliar with the God of the Bible. Okay, that was his unique calling. Look at verse six. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. So here's the, here's the point that I want to make. Paul knew God's plan for his life. He knew it. Paul knew what he was made for. Paul followed God and yielded himself and God's call 
came and Paul embraced it. Paul was made the apostle to the Gentiles. He knew his place in the world and professed it confidently. And the problem is that so few of us know what God is calling us to do and to be. And if we do know, we are rarely confident. So Paul, he confidently proclaimed this very thing to the Jews after he was arrested. So, so in this very circumstance, you can read historically about how this unfolded. In Acts chapter 22, we see Paul get arrested, and he begins explaining himself to the authorities. And in verse 21 of chapter 22, it says, And he said unto me, this is Christ speaking to Paul. He, the, the very words of Christ to Paul were, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. And this is a story that Paul loved to tell. Paul loved to tell about how, how Christ had saved him on the road to Damascus. And how God gave him this unique opportunity to go to the Gentiles and to preach the gospel. Paul loved to talk about it. He speaks about it confidently to the Roman church in Romans chapter 11, verse 13. For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my office. Romans 15, 16 says that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. And it goes beyond that. He didn't need anyone's affirmation to know who God made him to be. He didn't need other people to pat him on the back and say, that a boy, you're headed the right way. He didn't need that. He didn't need that. Look at, look at Galatians 1.16, what he says. He says, to reveal his son in me that I might preach, preach him among the heathen, among the Gentiles. Immediately, I conferred not with flesh and blood. So when God called him to this unique work, he didn't need the affirmation of men to know what he was supposed to do. He was that confident in God's calling on his life. Here's the point I want to make. Confidence in our calling means fearlessly owning what he made you for. Do you, do you know what he made you for? I mean, I mean, honestly, do you know what he made you for? I mean, some of us don't. I mean, are some of us struggle to understand it from day to day. You get a new job opportunity that, that tells you you got to work on Sundays or, or Tuesday nights. And you ask yourself, am I supposed to do this? This seems like a right decision to me. <laughs> I mean, I know that it'll take me out of ministry, but man, look at the opportunity. I know it'll keep me out of Bible study. But man, look at this opportunity. I mean, how do I, how do I deny this? God's got to be in this, Right? See, we get confused real quickly because, because we don't fearlessly own who he made us to be. Look, the, the, the New Testament itself, like the fact that the New Testament exists and that we have Romans through Philemon is all the evidence you need to know that Paul didn't just believe in God's plan for him but that he lived it. 
There's a lot of you who intellectually know what God's got for you. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know ministry, and I know the discipleship thing. I know, I know, I know, I know that that's what a Christian's supposed to look like. But I got these other things. Now, there's some of you in here who actually are just afraid to take the next step. Like, God's spoken to you. You understand his will. You've obeyed his will. And now his calling on your life, his specific plan for you, is just a little bit scary and you're unwilling to say yes. It's difficult to hear. And so we refuse to own God's plan. You know, there's many uh, of you who are learning Christ's will for your life for the very first time. Those of you who are in discipleship and, and learning the Bible for the very first time. I mean, um, man, the excitement that I see in some of you, the, how new it is to learn God's word, is so awesome to me. Like, it's so wonderful. You know, just before service, Brandon came to me and was asking a Bible question. Um, you know, uh, Alvaro's disciple. He came to me and, and he had a question about the Bible. Because he's excited about it. Just, he's just pumped. And I'm like, bro, that's a complicated question. Email me. <laughs> I'll get back, dude, I'll get back to you on that. Like, let me study that for a minute. But, but he, he's excited about the word. And there's some of you who are in that place right now. You're learning God's call on your life. Obey him. Obey him. And there's some of you who've come through discipleship and you still don't know how to obey the things that you just got done learning. It's like, it's like for you, God's word is optional. And it's not. You are obligated as a believer, as a blood-bought believer, to obey his word and to live in his will. Now, there's others of you, man, especially on the heels of mission focus. There's some of you who are understanding God's plan for your life in a way that you have never understood it before. There's some of you who know that there's a unique calling on your life and it's beginning to manifest itself real. It's getting real. It's getting real, real fast. What have you to fear? There's some of you who just simply need to speak out loud what God is doing in your life. You just... You just need to start talking about it. You need to own it. You need to verbalize it. Don't rush it. Don't push the agenda. Don't force God's hand, but don't neglect it either. Don't fear it. Don't be afraid of what he's doing, but don't take pride in it either. Don't be arrogant. Be humble. Remain humble. Now, why? Why do we need to humbly own and be honest about what God's doing in our life? Because the capacity to fulfill God's calling in your life doesn't lie with you, it lies with him and him alone. See, whatever God's calling you to do, whether that's just to share the gospel with the person in the cubicle next to you, or a classmate, or to disciple, or to be involved in ministry, whether it's that simple, or God's calling you to another place across the, across the planet, to go somewhere else in the world, no matter what he's calling you to do, you can't do it without him. 
you don't actually have the capacity to live out the calling that he's called you to do. It's a weird, it's weird like that, right? It's weird like that because like when your boss tells you to go do something, you do it and you do it in the power of your flesh. You go do this thing and, and you know, you intellectually know what to do. You, there's a system in place and you go, you do that thing and then you report back and you say, it's done. In this case, God, your boss, has called you to do something that you can't actually do without him. You need him to give you the capacity for the very thing that he's asking you to do. Look at verse 7. Whereof I was made a minister, according to the gift of the grace of God, given unto me by the effectual working of his power. So what do we need to know here? What, what, what do we need to understand about capacity? Well, the very first thing is this, is that Paul required a transformation. It required a transformation. It says he was made a minister. He wasn't given this calling in the hopes that he himself had the ability and the strength to get it done. God's not, God didn't say to him, hey, I need you to be the apostle to the Gentiles, and uh, it's going to be hard work, um, so get to it. And then just left him to be. No, 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 no. God prepared him and made him the minister that he needed to be to do the work. He had to make him a minister. See, this is how it worked. Paul got saved on the road to Damascus. Then he spent three years in the desert getting discipled. Then, off to Jerusalem for a season of fellowship. And then he went to Antioch for more training and more opportunity so that he could, his, he could cut his teeth in ministry, if you will. And he spent time in Antioch working in that church. And step by step, God was making him to be the minister that he needed to be. And on the day that that church laid their hands on him and ordained him for the work, he was ready. Now listen to me. God is making you a minister. He's transforming you, not just by the power of his Holy Spirit, but the nature of your involvement in this church. Through discipleship, through fellowship, through Bible study, through LFBI, through leadership meetings, through prayer meeting. He is making you the minister that you need to be. He's preparing you for the work that he's calling you to. That's what he's doing. These experiences in Paul's life were used by God to make him the man that God needed him to be. He made him the minister. So many of you are saying to yourself, well, I'm not equipped. I'm not ready. I'm not ready, I'm not ready to share the gospel. I'm not ready to do that thing. I'm not ready to own that ministry. I'm not responsible enough. I'm not mature enough. I just don't know yet. I'm not spiritually prepared. Now listen, don't be afraid. God will make you prepared. That's part of his plan for your life. He will make you prepared. The next thing is this, is that God gave grace. Paul required grace on his life. It was grace that put him in this situation to begin with, the grace of Christ on his life. And it was grace that sustained him. It was gr grace that kept him going. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. 
Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And that's the surety that many of us need. Some of us, some of us who are saved are actually very unfamiliar with the grace of Christ. And I know that because you strive in your flesh. I know that because you believe in the strength of your own arm. I know that because I observe you relying on your intellect and your skills rather on what God can do through you in weakness. Okay, so you're weak. Perfect. Perfect. Now trust in his grace. See, God, God takes undeserving people and makes their lives divinely exciting. His grace, his grace holds us in the place of dependence on him. We need his grace. We need to be dependent on him. We need to trust in him. And whatever we lack, he's, he's already prepared to fill the gap. Whatever we don't know how to do, that's okay. He does. And the third thing is this, is we need his power. Paul required Power. The words effectual, the, the phrase there, effectual working. In the Greek, it means energeia. Energeia, which is where we get the word energy. So the effectual working is it's like God's energy. The word power here is dynamis, which is where, where we get our word dynamite. Dynamis is sometimes translated virtue. Some of the men in, uh, in our ministry are studying what it means to have virtue, what it means to have power in your ministry. And this word power is that same, same kind of word as virtue. See, the power that Paul needed was something only God could give him. He needed a supernatural power, an energy, a strength to keep working for the Lord when his flesh told him that he couldn't. When he couldn't summon the stamina in his flesh, God kept him going. You know, uh, one of the things I often hear in ministry uh, is that people get tired. They get tired. I mean, uh, ministry is emotionally exhausting. It places demands on your time, demands on your resources. And a lot of people will say, man, it's just, I'm just tired. They might not even say it complainingly. It's just a fact. It's like they're just saying, like, it's just been busy. It's been a busy season. There's some people who, um, you know, they, they come and they're a part of what we're doing and, they, and they, they recognize that God brought them here, but they're afraid. They're afraid of working. They're afraid of serving the Lord. They're afraid of what's going to cost them in terms of their time and their energy and their resources. Now, listen to me. If you say yes to the call of God on your life, he supplies the energy. He supplies the power. I mean, look, there are, there are pastors in our church who have children that are bivocational, which means they work 40 hours a week at their job, and they, for free, work 40 hours a week for the church. And when they get late night phone calls, they take them. You know, how is that even possible? How is it possible that Paul can say that he wants to spend and be spent for the church? 
that he wants to be worn out. How is it that Paul can, can ascribe integrity to the concept, to the concept that he could be worn out, that he could give everything he has, that he could be addicted to the ministry and that'd be a good thing? Because his power is different than yours and mine. He, he had tapped in to a power and an energy. Oh, I'm out of energy. I'm just tired. I'm tired. I got to, uh, yeah. Listen to me. It's either his call on your life or it's not. Like, you get to own it. It's free will, right? Like, you have free agency. You get to decide whether or not you want God's call on your life to be real, to be legitimate, or not. You can, you can refuse it. You can say no. Some of us, but some of us are just like, we're like, yeah, I like God's will. When it's convenient, you dip your toes in the pool, you know? I, you know, sometimes I like it, and sometimes I just want to sleep and watch Netflix, and, you know, that's what I want to do. And so we say to ourselves, well, it's just tiring. It's exhausting. It's just, I don't want it to consume my life. You know what? I want to tell you right now, I want it to consume my life. I want the work of this ministry for your sake and for the sake of the lost people all over our city, I want this work to consume my life. But I want to confess, I'm not strong enough, I'm not smart enough, and I don't have the energy to do it. I'm getting old and I'm getting tired. But God, God has supplied us has supplied us with everything we need. He supplied us with the transformation. He supplied us with the grace, and he supplied us with the power. Ephesians 1.19 says, And what is it, uh, the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in, in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. The power that was upon Christ on the cross and in heavenly places is also available to you to you. It's available to you. I know many of us are hard workers. Now there's of us, we're not. <laughs> Some of us work in the flesh. Others of us don't work at all. And some of us work in the power of the Spirit. And because of that, we're capable of finding joy in serving that other people cannot tap into. We need a divine touch of power, a divine empowerment that only God can give us. Here's our point. Confidence in Christ makes the calling possible. Confidence in Christ, in Christ, in his power. You know, he says this really, Jesus says this really interesting thing to the disciples as he's leaving. Before he ascends to heaven, he's, you know, they're kind of sending him off and they're like bemoaning the fact that he's leaving them. And he's like, I'm going to give you a comforter. Don't trip. It's going to be good. And he says to them, he says to them, look, I have all power. And I'm going to be with you. 
I have all power. I have all the power. And wherever you go, I'm going with you. This cap was already off. I can't trust this, can I? Not this time of year. That's had Kenny's lips have been on that. Bet money. Confidence in Christ makes the calling possible. Let's, let's close with this. So these things, these are the things that form confidence in us. That, that these are the things that, that make us to be confident, is that our reliance isn't in us, it's in God. But there's one last thing to consider, and really the, the key to ensuring that what God has made us to be will actually be realized. You know, for some of us, um, this, is the, this is the main reason why we lack confidence in our lives. This right here, what we're about to look at, is the main reason why we, we can't be confident. We keep going back to doubt and fear. We can't, make, we can't resolve the things that God has clearly told us. We waver on different things. We're double-minded. This is the reason right, right here, what we're about to address. Verse 8. Unto me, who am less than least of all the saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and power powers in heavenly places, might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. According to the eternal purposes which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore, I I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. So here's the final key for us learning how to be confident in who God has made us to be. That's this. Confidence in prayer makes our calling fruitful. It makes our calling to be fruitful. It makes it, it brings all the meaning together. So many of us are just beating our, 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 our heads against the wall over sin that we can't deal with, feelings that we don't know what to do with, relationships that keep faltering. We just beat our head against the wall over and over again. We don't know what to do. Things feel hopeless. We, we do ministry, and we're like, why am I not seeing fruit? Why do I not see fruit in my Bible study? Why, why is it that God has called me to this thing, but I can't see him in it? And it's because you've left every good thing on the table. Because you've refused to be bold and take advantage of access to the creator of the universe. That's what we're talking about. A failure to pray, a failure to go to him, a failure to cry out to him, 
to ask him, God, would you make this plan for my, my life true and actualized? Would you do this in me? I don't have the power. I don't have the strength. I'm weak. I don't know what to do. The relationships around me are confusing. I don't know what I'm doing. I need you. Make me fruitful. And he says, yes, son. Yes, daughter. I'll do that in you. I want to do that in you. It's my desire. I'll do it. And you will see my hand at work. And you will be confident in who I've made you to be. I mean, there's so many of us in this room who know all the things, and you don't, but you don't know why am I still depressed all the time? Are you, are you confident in prayer? I don't have any confidence in who I am and in my flesh. I don't know my identity. I don't know who I'm supposed to be. I, I struggle to, to know. I have lots of questions about where I'm going and what all this means. Call on God. He wants to use you. See, prayer ensures that, that all that God has all that he's called you to do will abound. Prayer is, prayer is the act of meeting with God on his terms. And that's what we need to do. We need to meet with him on his terms. So here's the deal. We're going to close, and I'm going to invite uh, Alex to come up, and, and uh, we'll close with praise. <clears throat> There's going to be people standing up front here, as, as usual, per usual, counselors that want to meet with you if, if you want to make yourself available to meet. But here's the deal. This is it. This is the invitation. There's many of us in here who've just, who, who know what God's doing in our life, but we're too busy with our stuff. And so we don't own the calling. We don't talk about it. We don't address it. We're not, and we lack confidence. There's, there's others of us who know for a fact that we're leaving, we're leaving God's work in our lives, the fruit that he has for us, the way he wants to use us, we're just leaving it. We're just leaving it because we don't pray. We don't ask him. We don't meet with him. And so we're full of doubt. We're double-minded people. We are lukewarm in every regard. Anybody else tired of that? Anyone else tired of just being halfway in? Of course you can't make up your mind about anything because you've trained yourself to be spiritually double-minded. It's time for us to go all in. Let's put our confidence in Christ. Let's put our confidence in the calling and let's put our confidence in going to him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. And God, I, I felt like I had a lot to say and not enough time to say it. Um, Lord, um, I'm asking for your grace that you would speak to people, that you would say the thing that they need to hear, the thing that I forgot to say or didn't know to say. Lord, would you say it? Would you provoke them in their spirit? And would you cause them to, to, to cry out to you, to confess to you, with their words or in the quietness of their heart, with a prayer partner, Lord, I pray that people would repent of being lukewarm, halfway in, 
Lord, I pray that people would recognize that you called them to something so much better than that. Help us, God. We, we need you. We need you to transform us. We need your grace. We need your power. Help us to, to lay hold on that today. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.com.